Everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. Dear brothers and sisters, on this Divine Mercy Sunday, we are called to reflect on the deepest meaning of Easter. You know, it was Jesus himself who wanted this day to be called the Feast of His Mercy. He's the one who told St. Faustina, this feast, and there was a Feast of Mercy on the church calendar before this, but it was kind of an obscure and neglected. In fact, he even said to Faustina, who knows about the feast? Who knows about the Feast of My Mercy? So Jesus told St. Faustina he wanted this day, the second Sunday of Easter, to be the Feast of Mercy. And he put it there because mercy is really the fullness, the full meaning of Easter. You know, we celebrate Easter for eight days. This is the octave day. In the Jewish tradition, the eighth day, the octave day of a feast, was the greatest day. The greatest day. So Easter for us, dear brothers and sisters, culminates in a strong reflection, a deep reflection on mercy. Mercy is the full meaning of Easter, the whole reason why the Son of God became man and taught us and suffered for us and died for us. The whole meaning of the redemption is about God's mercy. And so mercy is really the deepest meaning of Easter. And so we should ask ourselves, what does faith in the risen Christ mean for the ways in which we as his followers live our lives? This was the question that the first disciples had to face for themselves. Many of them, though not all, had actually seen the Lord Jesus after the resurrection. On Easter night, as we heard, the Lord came through the locked doors into the upper room and greeted his apostles. He wanted them to be absolutely certain that he was alive, that it was he in the flesh. He showed them his wounds, the wounds of his crucifixion. And the first thing he does is to give his apostles a mission of mercy. Giving them the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends them with the power to forgive sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. This power which Jesus granted to the church is so important that the Lord returns a week later. A week later, the next Sunday, to deal with doubting Thomas. All of the apostles had to know he was alive. All of them had to receive the Spirit and the power to forgive sins. Do not be unbelieving, Jesus said to Thomas, but believe. And he adds, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. My friends, Jesus established the church as his instrument of mercy. The very name of Jesus means God saves. And Jesus came to save man from sin. That necessarily involves God forgiving man his sins, which he does in and through the church. That's how God forgives, in and through the church. Thus, this feast of divine mercy should arouse in us sentiments of profound gratitude for the sacrament of penance. It is in the privileged conversation of repentance between Christ and the penitent that 
when we express true sorrow and a firm desire of amendment, Christ renews us with his love. Casting behind his back all our sins and restoring us to intimate friendship with him. This is truly something for us to celebrate today. I'm reminded of that wonderful story in the life of St. Margaret Mary, where Jesus had told St. Margaret Mary to go, go to the superior and tell her that you, want, you are to receive communion daily, which was not a practice, which was not a practice. So she goes to the mother superior and says, Jesus has asked that I receive communion daily. And in her skepticism, not believing what St. Margaret Mary was telling her, the, the, um, the Mother Superior says to St. Margaret Mary, so Jesus has been appearing to you. Yes. Jesus told you this. Yes. Well, if Jesus is appearing to you, the next time he appears to you, you ask Jesus what I confessed in my last confession. How about that? Isn't that rather bold? <laughs> Mother Superior was bold. Of course, sometimes in relationship to God, we have to be bold. So Margaret Mary carried this message back to Jesus, and Jesus said, Tell Mother Superior that I have forgotten them. Tell Mother Superior I have forgotten her sins. Now this is very powerful, not so much because of the dynamic between Jesus and the Mother Superior, but it reinforces the lesson that God, when he forgives our sins, chooses to forget them. In the fullness of his mercy, he forgets our sins. However, mercy means more than forgiveness, dear brothers and sisters. Mercy means recognizing how precious is the gift of my neighbor, of his human dignity, and that in Christ we are all brothers and sisters worthy of love. Yes, it is precisely in this that mercy reaches its fullness in the recognition that every human person is lovable. St. John expressed this so well in our second reading. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God. And everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. In this way, we know that we love the ch children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. The Greek term which John uses for begetting has a specific meaning in this letter. It means that faith in Christ is a gift by which God the Father makes us his true sons and daughters and imparts to us, begets in us, spiritual life. That's a very powerful thing to contemplate. God placing in us his divine life. I've come back to this again and again when I talk about sacramental grace. When we talk about God, when Christ abiding in us, when the Holy Spirit dwells in us, it's really true. Therefore, if I am a son of God who truly loves God, I necessarily must love those who are also my brothers and sisters in Christ. In this way, God's holy power prompts and persuades souls to put their faith in Christ and live a new life consecrated to him. 
This new life consecrated to Christ is summarized in our first reading, which is taken from the Acts of the Apostles. The community of believers was of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great favor was accorded them all, and there was no needy person among them. This is the life each one of us is called to make our own. So let us look more closely at its characteristics. The first thing that is highlighted is unity. Faith in the risen Christ brings about unity, a unity of heart and mind. From the very beginning, the church was living out the unity for which Christ prayed at the Last Supper. And the basis of this unity was faith founded on the apostles' witness to the resurrection. For with great power, the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Secondly, unity of faith leads to solidarity and awareness of the intrinsic social nature of the human person who, each one, has equal dignity. This awareness is lived through bonds of interdependence, interdependence between individuals and peoples. And so it was for the first disciples. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they had everything in common. There was no needy person among them. People were looking out for one another. Those with faith in the risen Christ naturally see themselves as stewards of whatever blessings God has given them. This is because they recognize that God already has given them the greatest of all blessings, eternal life through his Son. You know, I once met a woman. She's passed away now. God bless her. But many years ago, she had a house. She and her husband, her husband worked for the FBI, retired from the FBI. They had a home up in Carroll Valley, beautiful place. And when I went and visited her, she was very clear. She said, this house is Mary's house. This house is the Blessed Mother's house. We just live here. We take care of it. But it's her house. It was really striking to hear that. It was really striking to hear that. Having benefited from God's great generosity, a disciple is naturally generous to all. Here again, St. John's words, everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. Thus, finally, unity and solidarity reach their highest degree in specific acts of charity. Those who own property or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds of the sale, and put them at the feet of the apostles. And they were distributed to each according to need. Love, dear brothers and sisters, is always active. Come back to this again and again. Love is always active. This must be, be so because, as St. John wrote so clearly and profoundly, God is love. And God is always active. In his it is his love that keeps everything in being. So then, dear friends, mercy is living out God's commandment of love. And we do so because Christ is risen. To be a believer is to stake one's life, one's whole life, on the resurrection. That's the way the first Christians lived. 
And we are to do so as well by every decision that we make. The graces of this feast of divine mercy should renew within us a profound sense of unity with my brothers and sisters in the church. We need one another and depend upon one another. By gathering every Sunday for Mass, either in person or virtually, we express our concern for one another and support each other in prayer. That's very powerful. Yes, it is precisely in this that we recognize each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, children of our Heavenly Father. This feast should also make us more aware of the stewardship, the stewardship we have been called to exercise by Christ himself as promoters of his mercy, as fellow workers of salvation in the kingdom of God. Finally, the Lord expects us to be busy in works on behalf of the needy. We are to be instruments of God's love. As Christ sent the apostles out from the upper room, he sends you and me out from this church as his chosen vessels of mercy. How richer our lives would be, how richer in the things that matter would our parish be if each one of us played his or her part in the work of evangelization and of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. I say it again. This was the Easter life of the first disciples. May it always be ours as well.